It's time. You're listening to the National Edgar Allan Poe Theater on the Air. Sponsored in part by Baltimore's own Raven Beer, this ongoing series brings to your ears the best-known works from America's revered grandfather of horror and suspense. From room to room in the asylum of the mysterious Dr. Mallard, Poe's wretched souls describe their awful tales while they await the doctor's revolutionary system to treat and cure the mentally crippled. In today's episode, the National Edgar Allan Poe Theater on the Air takes on Poe's tale of claustrophobia and the fear of being entombed alive. The Premature Burial. In our last episode, The Raven, we found ourselves reliving a man's experience of the terrors of love ended too soon, lost hope, obsession, and tragedy. Bird, fiend, whatever you are, out! I want you out! Go on, get back into the night and crawl back to your masters in hell. I don't want a trace of you here, not a single black feather. Leave! Leave my loneliness unbroken, do you hear me? Get off that accursed statue, I can't stand to look at you! Your beak is like a knife in my heart. Get out of here and never darken my doorway again. Get out! Now, Professor Mallard leads us down the hall for a conversation with another of his children. Are you enjoying your little tour of my facility here? And what do you think of my system? Is it not unique, revolutionary, inspirational? A work of genius? No, no need to answer yet. I'll let you mull it over. Besides, you've not seen everything. I shall convince you I shall convert you. Ah, yes, one of my favorite children is just behind this door. But before we go in, may I ask if you have any neuroses? Perhaps a fear of open spaces? Agoraphobia, as the Greeks would have it. Well, imagine being afraid of the market. The only thing to fear in our market is the spoiled fruit the old farmer sells. <laughs> uh, but perhaps the teeming crowd, swarming like termites, like wood ants devouring a wounded deer in the forest. That might give us pause. The crowd, the mob, unwashed and uncultured, they could do anything. But it is all question of mind over matter, agoraphobia, nonsense. And what of its opposite? Claustrophobia. I could never understand that either, but then again, I am a man of superior intellect. I would be perfectly happy alone with my thoughts. I'm sure you are the same. We'd be excellent patients, wouldn't we? Now, my next child can never settle into her interned state. Come in. Come in quickly now. There she is, by the barred window. Wait a moment while I lock the door from the inside and hide the key. Otherwise, the widow Stapleton might make a bolt for it. We can't have her running free in the corridors, can we? Oh, one more thing. Kindly keep your voice down. Ironically enough for a woman claiming claustrophobia, the young woman here requires us to keep our voices contained. Anything beyond a whisper is enough to cause her a fit of agitation, and that's not the only fit she's capable of. But you'll soon see for yourself. There. All is well. You will have noticed this is my biggest cell. I am nothing if not kind. I do not believe in claustrophobia, but I humor her. Uh, don't I, my good lady? How many times must I tell you, doctor? I am not claustrophobic. I'm afflicted with something else. Yes, yes, we will get to that in a moment. Self-diagnosis is a menace to the profession, is it not? 
claustrophobic or not, I have given you the largest cell in the Institute. You could fit a carriage for two in here, but not the horses, admittedly. Well lit, too, with a large window, even if it is barred. And I furnish Mrs. Stapleton most generously with candles. For which I am most grateful, Dr. Mallard. You can be trusted with the flames, you see, and you love the light. Yes, yes, I do. I cannot tolerate the dark. And have you been able to sleep, Mrs. Stapleton? No, I cannot. I have not. There, there, I do but jest. That is why you keep your cell as bright as noon. That is why you decline anything soporific and nourish yourself on... Coffee, caffeine, any stimulant to keep me conscious. Most of my troubled children here like a glass of hot milk or cocoa at bedtime, but not our Mrs. Stapleton. You know why. I cannot. I must not sleep. And yet, you cannot help yourself sometimes, can you, Mrs. Stapleton, when a cataleptic seizure takes its hold on you? If only you could find a cure for that, Dr. Mallard. A cure? The cure is yours to grasp, my good woman. Mind over matter. If you could become a stronger person, Mrs. Stapleton, expunge your weakness and find some moral fiber. No, 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 that is not fair. I have a condition. Look, doctor, at the readings I undertake. Again, I am a kind physician, furnishing you with books, the books you ask for, scientific journals, medical books, newspapers. Again, I am most grateful, and I thank you, Dr. Mallard. I understand you used to read other things, Mrs. Stapleton. Pleasant diversions, recent romances, lyrical ballads of the highest sentimentality. I used to read such things with my husband. Yes, I'm quite sure you did. I'd be happy to provide such reading matter for you. No, no more. I read other things exclusively now. It is my research, my research into catalepsy, into premature burial. Into what? Louder, please. Premature burial. To be buried alive must, beyond question, be the most terrifying horror of all. You see, our dear lady has claustrophobia. I deny it, Doctor. You know that I will always deny it. But I do have... I have taphophobia. Ha-ha, yes, that's it. A morbid fear of the grave. Splendid. And I ponder it all the time, Doctor, though it pains me so deeply. Yes, but it is a pleasurable pain, is it not, my dear? A repulsive insinuation, even for you, Doctor. I say again that to be buried alive must be the most appalling of all horrors that a person might possibly endure. We can dream of nothing half so hideous in the nethermost realms of hell. Calm yourself. It is such a rare occurrence, mainly just a myth to frighten the nervous and narcissistic. On the contrary, Doctor, if you'd only acknowledge how commonplace it is, especially to people with my condition. No, 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 no. A good physician will know a corpse when he's looking at one. Even a cataleptic will harbor the signs of life, my good woman, no matter how faint or well-concealed. A pulse, a breath, the reflex action of his nerves. Victims of my condition can seem to be dead and even decaying. Nonsense. The only cases of premature burial I encountered were in the military. 
Consider a badly wounded soldier. No surgery could heal him, so pop him still living in a box and bury him. Stifle the cries, out of sight, out of mind. Better for morale all round. Unspeakable. Not within the medical fraternity. But what of your researches, Mrs. Stapleton? These are histories, Dr. Mallard. Well-documented histories. Why, just today I I read an appalling account. Ah, do tell. In our fair city, a lawyer lost his wife. Well, it is a sprawling metropolis. I mean, she died, Dr. Mallard. Oh, I see. Proceed. It was tragic. A young... Beautiful woman, not long married. Let me stop you there, Mrs. Stapleton. I should explain to our guest that you were very recently married yourself, were you not? When the incident brought you here, no wonder you feel some affinity with the story. Yes, proceed. As I was trying to say, there was a beautiful young woman, a lawyer's bride, who was suddenly possessed by an unaccountable illness. It baffled quite utterly every physician who saw her. Not much of an advertisement for the medical community. After much suffering, she died. Or so it seemed. She presented all the appearances of death. Tell me more of these appearances. Her visage, was it pinched and sunken in its features? Yes. Her lips? Like marble and faintly blue. Her eyes? Lusterless. Any pulse? It seemed not. Any warmth to her body at all? No. Cold as a stone and rigid. Well, the woman was evidently dead, or the physician was incompetent. She was buried in the family vault. The husband was distraught. As well he might be losing his young wife. Three years later, the death of a senior member of the family compelled the vault to be opened. The lawyer himself swung the granite doors open so that the sarcophagus might be received, only to have the corpse of his bride swing around to meet him. Really? Yes. It seemed she had been buried alive. On waking, she had struggled in the coffin, causing it to topple from the recess onto the floor of the vault. Oh, dear. The lid smashed open upon impact. She was able to extricate herself. She must have crawled to the granite doors and pounded and cried, but all in vain. No one heard a single sound. And upon expiring, a bronze bolt for the ornate handles evidently caught her shroud, and so her rotting corpse stood upright and swung into her husband when the door was opened. <laughs> Doctor, are you well? I'm I'm sorry if I've distressed you. It is indeed a terrible... Oh, it is like a farce. Falling off the shelf, crawling along the floor, pounding to no avail, and then dead while standing up. Oh, and the thought of her husband opening the door to have his grinning maw greet him. <laughs> Surprise, darling, I'm back. <laughs> Priceless. Oh, the hilarity to have been a maggot in the eye socket of his dead wife and seen the look on his face. Laughter is a fine medicine. I cannot think of a single vaudeville act that could be any funnier than your stories, Mrs. Stapleton. You have made my day. And when you too can find the humor in these horrors, you shall be the better for it. Will I? You are a cruel man, Dr. Mallard. Man? 
I am no ordinary man, Mrs. Stapleton. I am your physician, and I shall cure you. At what price? A price cannot be put on a cure, dear lady, nor can a price be placed on humor. When you can laugh at what befell you yourself, all shall be well. I could never... Tell your tale of trauma to our guest. I am sure you'll receive some degree of empathy. Oh, is that why you are here? Have you been buried alive, too? Stand back, if you please. Thank you. Proceed like a lady, not a lunatic, if you can. Very well. With dignity, I shall recount. Yes, Mrs. Stapleton, you may proceed. Come now, we do not have time to dally unless... Yes, I do believe she's having a cataleptic episode. How exquisite. I'm delighted that you've had a chance to witness this for yourself. Look, come closer. She is quite, quite unconscious. I can raise her hand. Thus, she doesn't respond. She is quite malleable. Observe... Let me light this candle. Now, I can take her hand and place it above the candle flame. You see, it does not rouse her from her state. Imagine, and I can even press the pupils of her open eyes with my fingertips like this. And she does not even blink. Fascinating. Yet she is not dead. No, no, no. I am no quack doctor. She may be still and unresponsive, but listen. Listen. Deep. Deep down. Almost imperceptible. Her heart beats. It pulsates. It beats. I'd like to conduct all kinds of experiments when she's in this state. Just imagine what you would do with a cataleptic patient. But one can never predict quite how long these episodes will last. Ah, you see, she stirs already. Where? What? Was I? Yes, yes, you were gone for some time. How long? Oh, hours and hours. I could swear it was momentary. Oh, my hand, it is burned. Yes, we left you alone. Then when we returned, we saw your hand upon the flame and rescued you. Thank you, Doctor. I sometimes think of you as cruel, but without your vigilance, it seems I would be doomed. Oh, think nothing of it. My good guest and I then perused your notes, your books, your writings for some time while you slept. Doctor, you must help me. I must not sleep. Never. Yes. Remind me why that is. Because when I slept in catalepsy on that day, he thought... He thought I was deceased. And when an hour with calmer wings its down upon my spirit flings... That little time with lyre and rhyme to while away forbidden things my heart would feel to be a crime unless it trembled with the strings. Oh, 
My beloved, I adore the way you read to me. Another, please. Perhaps something of a different tone? Gray's elegy, perhaps? Or something of a sublime morbidity? Don't be silly. Enough poetry. Why waste our lips talking when we should be kissing? Oh, how I love you. <laughs> We've been married all of six months, and still you love me? And you? Do you not tire of me? Impossible. When I awoke in the morning, well, I did not awake. I had neglected to tell my husband of my cataleptic condition. Such an error in judgment, Mrs. Stapleton. I'll never understand why you did not forewarn him. Because I was in love. Because it was all so new. Because I thought I had left my failings behind. Yes. Yes. In the morning, he kissed my cheek and found me cold to the touch. I did not seem to breathe. My love, are you well? My love. No. No! The poor man. He could not be expected to have detected signs of life. Now, if only I had been your neighbor. My husband called for physicians. They examined me and assessed that I was dead. An undertaker was called for, and I was taken away, placed in a casket. The lid was nailed down. But I'm alive. I'm alive. I'm alive. I'm alive. And I lay in the casket for two days. You must understand that at no point was I altogether insensible. Dully and confusedly, I was aware of everything that was happening to me. I remember the darkness, the utter darkness that nothing could penetrate. The rigid embrace of the narrow house, the blackness of absolute night, the silence like a sea that overwhelms, opening my eyes or closing them, a uniform darkness, unchangeable. I counted each breath. In desperation, I tried to revive my body to match the vivid animation of my mind. Then came the moment I dreaded most of all. The undertaker and gravediggers lifted the casket and led me to the graveside. The smell of graveyard flowers and freshly turned earth. I began to penetrate the contemptible box. I heard my husband weeping as he beheld the coffin perched on the edge of the final resting place. The coffin swung into the ropes as they lowered me down into the unseen but palpable kingdom of the conqueror world. And stillness as I hit the bottom of the desperate pit. A moment of silence and the air dropped in shovelfuls upon the lid. The voices faded. The air began to thin. 
I felt an unendurable oppression of the lungs, the stifling fumes from the damper. It was then, as my body sensed the final wafts of air, that I mustered up a cry, a final chance at freedom. Alive. Uh, 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 alive. Barely, sir. Barely. Save her. Save her, alive. I beg you. If she is losing consciousness and may lose her life, a desperate measure, but I shall apply the galvanic battery. Save her. Oh, my love, let me hold you. No, keep back. The electric charge still courses through her body. He was dead, Mrs. Stapleton. I mean, given the theme of your narrative and your taste for dramatic irony, it seems that... Yes, Doctor. He was most certainly dead. But I hope you buried him with a very loud bell all the same. It sent me mad. I must never sleep again. Marvelous tale. Well told, my good lady. Lots for us to think about, yes, especially those galvanic batteries. I really must acquire some. In the hands of a medical pioneer, who knows what miracles they might be persuaded to conjure. We have more guests to see, Mrs. Stapleton, so you must excuse us. Oh, and do try to sleep. There's always a flask of hot cocoa on hand for to be tempted. The galvanic battery. The curse of catalepsy. I must never sleep again. I must never sleep again. I must never sleep again. What a self-indulgent and dramatic woman, wouldn't you agree? She needs to rationalize and resist all fear like a civilized person. She must find the humor in all these circumstances. Catalepsy, premature burial, taphophobia, claustrophobia, oh, and galvanism. I knew she loved her husband, but even she must appreciate the irony. Ah, the door is locked. Yes, of course, I I locked it. It's just... Here. Where has it gone? I've lost the key. I have lost the key. Let me not be stuck in here. I shall go mad. Truly, I shall. (laughs) Oh, it's here in my other pocket. Do you want to meet more of my children? There are many, many more. It's just a few steps to my next fascinating case. You've been listening to the National Edgar Allan Poe Theater on the Air and our production of The Premature Burial, adapted for radio by Richard J. Hand. The Premature Burial was directed by Alex Zavistovich and produced by Ty Ford, with the voices of Jennifer Restack and Alex Zavistovich. Poe Theater on the Air, theme by Greg Martin. The National Edgar Allan Poe Theater on the Air is sponsored in part by Baltimore's own Raven Beer, purveyors of Poe-inspired craft beer. More information can be found on the web at www.ravenbeer.com. 
More information on the National Edgar Allan Poe Theatre on the air can be found at www.poetheater.org. Until next time, this is Alex Zabistovich reminding you that all that we see or seem is but a dream within a dream.